0: Bepodcraft.com I went to Elston Beach not only for the pleasures of sun and ocean, but to rest the weary mind. Since I knew no person in the little town which thrives on summer vacationists and presents only blank windows during most of the year, there seemed no likelihood that I might be disturbed. This pleased me, for I did not wish to see anything but the expanse of pounding surf, the beach lying before my temporary home.
1: It's a nice setup for a story called The Night Ocean, another collaboration between H.P. Lovecraft and R.H. Barlow.
0: You're listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast.
1: At hppodcraft.com. I'm Chad Pfeiffer.
0: And I'm Chris Lackey. And that narrator that you heard at the front of that is none other than uh, a terrible reader.
1: Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's me. I'm,
0: I'm reading it. Normally, we don't read these. We have a separate person doing a narration. However, back in the day, Chad actually narrated the tomb.
1: Yeah, I was the reader on the tomb. And I thought, well, we're about in the same place, but on the out. So maybe you should do it, you know, for symmetry.
0: Yeah, it's not our last... Episode. Mm -hmm. That one is uh, Haunter in the Dark, which we're going to have Andrew Lehman because he already read the whole thing. (laughs) So why pester him again and just use the bits from that? So that's what we're doing.
1: Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Well, we both read this, I assume, with a bit of sadness. Yeah, absolutely. Being the last Lovecraft story that I hadn't read.
0: And that might have colored my my reading of it as well because it's a very moody
1: piece yeah it is it's its got a lot of sadness to it it's really not as much of a story as it is just sort of a long prose poem in a way it's really just about the language and the feeling of the narrator yeah now there's some uh question as to the actual authorship of the story right
0: yeah there is but um i in love in the lovecraft encyclopedia joshi mentions that this that a manuscript was recently discovered and by recently whenever when this was published so that was in 2001, so <laughs> about yeah. 10 years ago.
1: Well, yeah, but that, I mean, everything that I was reading said that this was about a 50 50 contribution, and, and there was no manuscript around to prove otherwise. So, no, so around I mean, it, it, it is fairly recent.
0: It is recent, yeah. The original manuscript was microfilmed by Barlow's literary executor, George T. Simsor. And it shows that the plotting in most of the prose is Barlow's, with H.P. Lovecraft revising the language throughout, but contributing perhaps less than 10% to the overall story. Hmm. He also says that Lovecraft commends the story, and he makes it makes him think that he didn't have that much to do with it because if Lovecraft wrote it, he would never say nice things about it.
1: <laughs> right, he'd be down on it. He'd be down on it, yeah. And it doesn't really read like a Lovecraft story. It doesn't.
0: The whole time I was reading this story, I'm just like, this is weird. This isn't like Lovecraft. And I thought maybe... Since he was kind of getting towards the end of his life, that maybe he was getting more introspective. No, because at this point in the summer of thirty six, which was when it was written, he didn't know he was dying. And you know, actually, we'll talk more about the end of Lovecraft's life and what was going on with him in a, an episode. We'll have a whole episode devoted to that. Yeah, because there's a lot of interesting things.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and we spent some time on his bio at the beginning, so it'd be nice to do an outro to talk about exactly you know the end of his life and his legacy, and then another episode to talk a little bit about the end of the show and what it's meant for us so i guess we've got about four more you know what why don't we just really quick summarize it so we can talk about it with a bit more information our narrator is an artist who has entered into this mural contest wherever he's from Mm -hmm. and it took a lot out of him i mean it was a lot of work a lot of imagination a lot of things he had to do so he's beat he's decided to take a vacation on this lonely stretch of beach by a town called elston Mm-hmm. Presumably not Elston in Iowa. That's the only <laughs> Elston I know of. Uh, no. Some seaside town, probably made up. He's got this one room house he's staying in. With. There is two windows on each side of
0: the house, so that it's not. So the whole place is really brightly lit during the day, and it's mm-hmm. it's nice. He, he he talks a lot about how the sun rejuvenates him and makes him feel better, and taking those things that his work took away from him and giving it back.
1: Yeah, I mean, when he first gets there, it's really nice because it's still summer. He goes into town for food, uh, but he doesn't really like the revelers in the beach town. He's going on long walks. He's going for swims. Yeah. He's...
0: I kept thinking of his long walks on the beach. I kept thinking of um, Spandau Ballet, True. <laughs> you know that song? I just kind of picture that was like him walking <laughs> in on that plane in the background. <laughs>
1: uh
0: uh, uh, uh. I know this <laughs> much is Why? true because there's a karaoke video. Uh-huh. Do you remember uh-huh. at that place? Was it the Smog Cutter?
1: Yeah, I remember yeah, that. And place.
0: they did karaoke there, and they had the karaoke had the video playing. Oh and right, they had a video playing of of some lady and some guy walking along a beach, but they weren't walking together. They were walking separately, like they were thinking about each other or something. I don't remember what. Right. And for some reason, when I was reading that, this popped into my head and. Uh, it really has nothing to do with the story at all
1: i think but they had crazy videos for everything because i seem to remember that it was um send me an angel or oh right uh maybe a human league songs or something they had like a vampire oh no no it's tainted love it was tainted love it was, tainted love. It was tainted love yeah, that's what it was. i remember that one yeah. <laughs>
0: but he wasn't he was like a real like weak sauce vampire he yeah he sort of looked like dracula but not really right you know like he was really pale he had the, the tuxedo but he didn't have a medallion no. And he didn't have a cape, but it, his hair was slicked back and he sort of had the widow's peak going. and
1: You know, that is a question that's haunted me most of my life. What did Dracula do to win that medallion? <laughs> you know?
0: Uh, I believe it was long jump. It was long jump?
1: Oh, okay. It's an
0: Olympic medal, yeah.
1: In Elston, the darkening ocean and the sky, they kind of make our protagonist more sullen, sort of depressed. Yeah. It's as if there's some horrible thing just below the surface of the water. Some strange things happen over his stay. They're just like kind of small events. He doesn't go over too much, but just enough to suggest that something odd is going on. There's this weird bauble that washes up on the beach that he can't identify. It's got some kind of fish on it, right? With seaweed in the
0: background. It's, yeah, some sort of jewelry of some kind. When I read that part, I thought, oh, maybe this is going to be the Lovecraftian, deep one uh, sculpted object, but it really isn't. He, he, He says, well, it's probably something from last year that was in fashion at the beach and it's just yeah. washed up over here and that's it it doesn't lead to anything directly but it does add to the mood of the story
1: yeah and also i mean yeah he just doesn't realize he just thinks it's junk yeah but maybe if if we knew other things <laughs> then it would take on more significance Right. i, I liked it a lot that it, there was no significance to it simply because he doesn't have information and that happens again you know one night he's out walking and it starts to storm really hard mm-hmm. he runs home he's soaking wet as he's inside drying off, he looks out and he sees some strange figures on the beach as he's getting dry. Mm-hmm. He opens the door, thinking that they might be seeking shelter, too, since the storm came out of nowhere. But as soon as he opens the door to offer them some shelter, they just stop and stare at him. Well,
0: they just stand there. And he's not yeah. sure if they didn't hear him or if they're ignoring him. Or That reminds me of Andrew Lehman's creepy story about the guy standing in the, the football field. Yes. Yes,
1: you know? it did. It did. Yeah. And... Because he thinks, they're wait... are they waiting for me to do something? Yeah. <laughs> it's really creepy and then he when he closes the door and kind of tries to look out the window they disappear shortly thereafter
0: and he thinks well maybe they weren't even there
1: he just doesn't have information and now there have been odd disappearances and drownings in the town all summer
0: again he doesn't really put too much he kind of downplays it a bit and says well people die even though that there have been some good swimmers that have died but he's not sure if they've been attacked by sharks or not nobody's been specific he's only kind of heard Secondhand information about it overhearing people talk because he goes into town all the time yeah. which is about a mile away to eat to have his meals and things and then that's right, all right. that really interests him he said there's a few interesting curio shops but not nothing really he kind of doesn't like the town the townies and just wants to spend most of his time out there but also another creepy thing is when he's walking back into town one of these days he sees what he thinks is a human hand washed up on the on the beach <laughs> and but it's kind of rotted so he doesn't know if it's a hand or not and then he kind of kicks it with his foot and kicks it into the water and then it, the the tie takes it back out and he goes was that a hand or was that a dead fish or what was that and, yeah. I don't, and it just totally bothers him the whole time
1: it's it's a, it's an interesting part because he's been feeling really awful Yeah, that day it was actually sunny, and he kind of felt the depression lifting. Yeah, (laughs) and the hand washes up on the beach, and I think when he kicked at it, it like sticks to his.
0: It does stick to his
1: his shoe shoe a little bit. Yeah, it it reminded me of the ear in Blue Velvet.
0: And and how that doesn't really—it, I mean, it affects him and affects his mood, but in a very non-Lovecraftian way, it doesn't affect the story in any way.
1: It just adds more menace. It's not a clue.
0: It's just something that adds to the mood. Right. It was pretty cool, and it also kind of reminded me a little of, in a way, uh, a
1: Raymond Carver story. Anyone, anyone in particular, or just no, no,
0: no, just the feel of it, just the fact that that this that these things sort of happen. You know,
1: like yeah, yeah. I mean, he doesn't spell out what it means. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, it means something. There's great significance to it, but it's not. Yeah. It's not apparent. It's it's a it's a feeling. It's more of a significant feeling from an event rather than an idea.
1: Or right, concept. right, right. Well, certainly he would have paired the language back quite a bit. But, of but course, I totally yeah. <laughs> agree with you in that he could have made it, built a whole story about this one thing because the narrator knows that something sinister might be afoot. He thinks, mm-hmm. oh, that's a good pun, huh? Something sinister might be a hand. But he lets it go. You know, he, yeah. he doesn't tell anybody about it.
0: It's him kind of rationalizing, too. Well, maybe I should have said something. Maybe I should have called the police. Right. But what would I tell them? When I saw a hand... Uh, but I wasn't sure if it was a hand.
1: Sometimes you see things and you don't. We—it's obviously it's the uh, the face eating stuff that's been going on. So people are, t- you know, the guy in Miami that ate the other guy's face. What? You, you don't know about this, Chris?
0: I don't know about this. What are you talking about?
1: Oh, you're kidding me. No. Oh okay well this has been the big news for a couple of weeks now there's a guy in miami who he ate another man's face he was on drugs that they call bath salts which are sort of a methamphetamine kind of synthetic chemical that can really drive you crazy and this guy got naked he pulled another man's clothes off had him down on the ground and he ate his entire face off basically before the police got there they shot him and killed him and the homeless man who was attacked is still in critical condition in the hospital oh
0: my god
1: heather and i had just watched uh, this movie called pontypool which is kind of a um, independent canadian film but it's a zombie kind of apocalypse kind of scenario we turned that off and then she goes in and turns on the news and that was the first thing that was being reported on and she says chad oh my god it's happening <laughs> <laughs> like this thing we've been subconsciously planning for this whole time we've been watching walking dead but it really was something out of dawn of the Dead." oh my god god what this guy was doing well ever since then the news has been kind of pushing these zombie attack stories there's another guy this happened just a couple days ago that bit somebody else's face because he was drugged up and i can't remember where that was gosh there was a guy that had opened up his stomach and was throwing pieces of his intestines at the police (sighs) i'll put a bunch of these stories up in the show notes but it's been very freaky I can't believe that you didn't hear about the face-eating.
0: It's not. I mean, it's not making the news over here.
1: The thing is that this guy was going at it for about, I think they said, like 18 minutes.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Before anybody stopped him, which is why. And, I mean, you can actually go online and see images of the damage that he did. If you have a weak stomach, I really don't think you should. Uh, Honestly, uh, I kind of wish I didn't. People wonder why didn't anybody stop this guy. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it was very clear what was going on to people just going by but how many times have you seen something that might have been a shady scenario and you go i'm just not looking at that i'm not dealing with that you know i gotta get to the dentist or whatever so i can't the
0: guy getting his face eaten off was he unconscious
1: i'm not exactly sure i mean in the stories i mean if he's
0: screaming and biting this
1: yeah i think that he was in some kind of subdued state he was on drugs as well no i don't think so but video i saw of because this happened under this overpass so if you look at the top-down video, you can just see the legs of the two men. Mm-hmm. The man who was doing the eating, is out; he's dead, so he's just laid out. But the man who was hurt, his legs are moving around, like when the police are there and the, the emergency crew and that sort of thing. So he, if he wasn't conscious while it was happening, he was conscious shortly thereafter. Oh. Boy, there's a lot of ink dead on this. So <laughs> if you want to read up on it, go ahead. But Oh, my
0: God. it's,
1: that's... it's it, A lot of people have been discussing it as in, like, what the hell would you do? There was a, a, a witness... It's funny to hear him talk about it because he says the last thing I thought I was going to see today was cannibalism. <laughs> you know, he said the, most, the, the the thing I can compare it to is The Walking Dead. I mean, it was really like a zombie attack.
0: Yeah, that's what a zombie attack is. Like it's a person eating another person.
1: Well, and as well, when the police were like, hey, hey, get off of there. What are you doing? The guy looked up and growled at them and then went back to it. I feel
0: nauseous. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm sorry to break it to you. That me. is horrible. <laughs> well, I just figured it was something that you would know about. No. But around the water cooler, people have been talking about how did that go on for so long and didn't anybody stop? And I'm thinking if you just saw a couple of naked guys carrying on out of the corner of your eye and you didn't really get a good look at what was going on, you might just think, okay, that's something I can't deal with this morning, you know?
0: I don't know, man. That's That seems uh, – I'd like to think that I would have done something. I mean, even – I mean, it just seems so horrible. I mean, even if I saw two naked people like wrestling around on the ground or something, I feel like I would try and find a two by four and start swinging or something. I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you don't know until you're in that uh, circumstance, but I, I just can't imagine just going away from it. Like
1: that's a little extreme.
0: Kicking a hand, uh, something you're not sure is a hand or or is a hand. That's one thing, but seeing mm-hmm. another two people in some kind of physical altercation. Right. I've I've seen fights before and typically yeah. you just stand back and let those people fight because they're fighting fighting yeah, over yeah. something. It's and it's usually a fight, not somebody just beating them. I've never seen anybody just getting beaten up. I've seen people fight. Right. And right. I watch the fight until it's over because not because I care who wins or lose but just to make sure that nobody's severely hurt. Because right. then if they right. are, then you you call the police. I don't try and break up fights because not your business as in those guys are working something out rachel's cousin just recently saw a bunch of guys beating up on one dude and she uh-huh. went in and tried to stop them like yelled hey stop stop being on that guy stop being on that guy and yeah it distracted them they didn't she's a girl so they didn't attack her or mm-hmm. anything like that it got them to quit attacking this guy
1: oh that's good
0: and i'd like to think i would you know i would have done something Well, i
1: tried that. that once i was in hollywood really late at night walking home and i was passing by a club and there were probably eight guys just kicking that crap out of a guy on the ground i don't know what was going on and it had just happened and i yeah. ran up and i said here was here's was my strategy <laughs> i ran up and i go i'm a cop i'm a cop <laughs> i just thought if they heard that yeah. yeah. Maybe they'd stop or at least look around and didn't even phase them. And the police showed up about two minutes later. But I, I was so ineffectual, I couldn't even believe it. They didn't did, even you, did you, you or, stuck around, though? Yeah, I stuck around. See, that's So I-, I guess what I'm talking about is, like, yesterday I was walking on an underpass under the freeway. A really crazy, like, central, right out of Central Casting homeless dude shot out from the side of uh, this little alcove I couldn't see into. And there was some strange noise coming out of there. I was walking with my friend. We both turned around and looked. And once we saw that the guy was kind of twitching around and looking at, you know, you have that moment where you're like, I don't want to make eye contact because then suddenly you're involved, involved. So we turned around and we kept walking. For all I know, he was eating a child back there in that alcove. And that's all I mean. That <laughs> Sometimes you decide not to pay attention to something, even though it could be really bad.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I can see where I would do something similar. If you just don't know what's going on, you might. That's what I mean.
1: You can make a choice because what he does when he sees this hand is he says it it might be something else that's just shaped like a hand.
0: It could be a dead fish. It could be be a lot of things, especially if it's decomposed to a point where he just wasn't sure what, what it was.
1: And he says to himself, since I don't have any information, there's no sense in me causing a stir. And also the the great thing is that he makes enough comments about the people in the town. They're either townies or folks who are just in for the season on vacation. Yeah. All they're doing is getting drunk. I mean, this is an environment where people are probably getting drunk, going out swimming, drowning. Or there's an attack or they get caught on something. Or people are just getting lost. Like they came for vacation and they hook up with somebody and take off. So mm-hmm. it seems like they're missing. There's a lot of easy explanation for why people could be going missing or why they could be dying. Right. The mention of it makes it seem like something more sinister is going on
0: let me read this paragraph where he finds the hand as i made my way toward the village wondering how it might look after a long needed scrubbing by the industrious rain i saw tangled in a glimmer of sunlit moisture that was poured over it like yellow vintage a small object like a hand some 20 feet ahead of me and touched by the repetitious foam the shock and disgust born in my startled mind when i saw that it was indeed a piece of rotten flesh overcame my new contentment and engendered a shocked suspicion that it might actually be a hand. Certainly no fish or part of one could assume that look, and I thought I saw mushy fingers wet in decay. I turned the thing over with my foot, not wishing to touch so foul an object, and it it adhered stickily to the leather shoe, as if clutching with the grasp of corruption. The thing, whose shape was nearly lost, held too much resemblance to what I feared it might be, and I pushed it into the willing grasp of the seething wave. Which took it from sight with an clarity not often shown by those revelled edges of the sea. So he seems pretty sure that it's a hand. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny he goes into town and, you know, asks kinda asks around if anybody has turned up missing or if anybody's missing a hand or anything and mm-hmm. nobody.
1: Hey, anybody in here missing a hand? <laughs> just I'm just here for the oysters, but just thought I'd throw it out there? No. Okay, good. Well, he wins the contest, he finds out. Yeah. Um, the mural contest. The, because it's a mural contest I was thinking of course that it was because you know so many murals are so bad yeah. yeah
0: I think of the Venice Beach ones where they got sure. like, is it, it uh, is it the Doors guy is it um, what's his name uh, Val Kilmer
1: oh Val Kilmer
0: <laughs> no Jim Morrison <laughs> is it Jim, there's one with Jim Morrison on there down in Venice yeah, Beach yeah I think so
1: there's some really bad ones around Los Angeles but I mean everywhere in the in anywhere there's a mural that's good there's five that are awful <laughs> yeah But anyway, he wins the contest, so he's getting ready to leave Elston. And one of his last nights there, he sees a a thing.
0: Then, with an unheard splash which sent from the silver water to the shore, a line of ripples echoed in fear by my heart, a swimming thing emerged beyond the breakers. The figure may have been that of a dog, a human being, or something more strange. You could not have known that I watched. Perhaps it did not care. But like a distorted fish, it swam across the mirrored stars and dived beneath the surface. After a moment, it came up again, and this time, since it was closer, I saw that it was carrying something across its shoulder. I knew then that it could be no animal, and that it was a man or something like a man which came towards the land from the dark ocean. But it swam with a horrible ease. As I watched, dread-filled and passive, with a fixed stare of one who awaits death and another yet knows he cannot avert it the swimmer approached the shore. Though too far down the southward beach for me to discern its outlines or features, obscurely loping with sparks of moonlit foam scattered by its quick gait, it emerged and was lost among the
1: inland dunes. That's so great. Yeah. Swam with a horrible ease. The thing, whatever it is, it disappears.
0: Yeah, and that's it. He he tries to look out the other windows, but he can't see it, and he doesn't know if it was his imagination, if it was... Just something inside of him that made him think he saw these things maybe a, a manifestation of how he was feeling
1: feels like something sinister is going on but the sea is going to keep its secrets and whatever it was that swam out he'll never know I thought this was a beautiful story, if you have the patience, because it does take a while to get through. I I wish I'd known that there wasn't any plot, because I would have maybe been a little more patient. But once I settled into it, the language is really beautiful. And this story, even though it's, it's not much Lovecraft, it seemed like the fulfillment of the promise of the music of Eric Zahn. The type of completely sublimated plot and all suggestion storytelling that Lovecraft was kind of pushing mm-hmm. and trying to do that, that makes him so new- unique. It's—it's it's, In Eric Zahn, we don't ever get to find out what was really going on. That story flies out the window. We just have the neighbor's impressions of what was happening in that room. Mm-hmm. And here it's the same sort of thing. There might be some kind of Innsmouth-style conspiracy going on in this town. There might be some kind of monster in the deep that's commanding people. We don't know. Yeah and all we get is this one little seasonal visit and then the guys got to turn around and leave and even though he was touched by the mystery he'll never know its explanation
0: Vast and lonely is the ocean and even as all things came from it so shall they return thereto in the shrouded depths of time none shall reign upon the earth nor shall any motion be save the eternal waters and these shall beat on dark shores in thunderous foam Though none shall remain in that dying world To watch the cold light of the enfeebled moon Playing on the swirling tides and coarse-grained sand On the deep's margin shall rest only a stagnant foam Gathering about the shells and bones of perished shapes That dwelt within the waters Silent, flabby things will toss and roll along empty shores Their sluggish life extinct Then all shall be dark For at last even the white moon on the distant waves shall wink out Nothing shall be left, neither above nor below the somber waters. And until the last millennium, as after it, the sea will thunder and toss throughout the dismal night.
1: And actually, so that, that's the end of the story.
0: Nothing is really stable. Everything is going to fall apart eventually. Yeah. My life, the life of my species is pretty much meaningless in the universe. <laughs> And why am I bothering with all the things that I'm doing? Those moments, those flashes, are, are, are cause me some anxiety. Not very often. I think maybe when I was younger it happened. Then there's sort of a point that you get to where you go,
1: eh. If, if At least if I realize that's what's going on, I can find ways to distract myself. Yeah. And I felt like the narrator gets there sometimes where he feels like, it's interesting because it's almost like a Cthulhu thing. You know, there's this creature that's just under the waves there and it's going to come out. Something's going to happen. It's just this creeping unease. It was really well articulated in the story. Yeah. There's a great phrase he uses when he said, uh, you know, it was, I thought, personified in a shape which was not revealed to me, but which moved quietly about beyond my range of comprehension. And a very un-Lovecraftian kind of comparison here where he says, it was like those actors who wait behind darkened scenery in readiness for the lines, which will shortly call them before our eyes to move and speak in the sudden revelation of the footlights. That was a beautiful image. Right. Nails that feeling of just, there's something wrong. I don't know what it is, but it's just below the surface. Yeah. And there's a lot of that in here.
0: Yeah, there's another line that I really liked here. It says, I felt in brief agonies of disillusionment, the gigantic blackness of this overwhelming universe, in which my days and the days of my race were as nothing to the shattered stars. A universe in which each action is vain, and even the emotion of grief, a wasted thing and there's a lot of really thoughtful interesting i mean barlow at this time this is 36 so barlow was born in 1918 so he's not even 20 at this point Uh in 36 he's only yeah he'd be 18
1: well he's got a wonderful command of of the language i mean there's a there's a right in the beginning when he's talking about the difficulty of painting his mural and putting together his art he relates it to writing this story actually Mm -hmm. you know that it's very difficult so much of of creativity is in our dreams it to capture what we dream about requires memory mm-hmm. to retain the the fantastic things you see in your sleep and also skill to be able to render them accurately he said for although dreams are in all of us few hands may grasp their moth wings without tearing them <laughs> so, so nice yeah it's really good there's all sorts of great similes throughout the thing he says uh, like a solitary warm animal that crouched facing the sea he's talking about his house uh-huh I love stuff like that yeah
0: it's uh, there's a, this is a really beautiful story and i'm i'm really curious i wish there's some way to, to hunt down the original manuscript i wonder how much of, of this prose is actually lovecraft i know it's a small part but i wonder if these things that we're liking are are they barlow's or are they lovecraft's because maybe they are lovecraft's lines yeah and, and there is a touch of him in here oh for sure how much of that is barlow just loving lovecraft's work and then kind of changing it to become his own
1: i'm thinking there's a part where he says um glare the sun is on the water and he says sometimes it seemed that the roar of the sea was akin to that great brightness or as if the waves were glaring instead of the sun that was neat yeah but i guess when you have those trippy lovecraftian things where you know where he's off in another dimension or flying through you know what i'm talking about Mm -hmm, like he gives you some of those same impressions where sound crashes into image now i love the way he describes the, the the townies they were painted women in tinsel adornments and bored men who are no longer young a throng of foolish marionettes perched on the lip of the ocean chasm unseeing unwilling to see what lay above them and about in the multitudinous grandeur of the stars and the leagues of the night ocean (laughs) these people are drunken pools up in the town and they're not even taking in the significance of this giant body of water they're next to it's pretty
0: cool i mean this is a really neat story and i have to say i was i was pleasantly surprised when i I read it i was just a couple paragraphs into it i go wait a minute this isn't like a normal lovecraft story this is Mm -hmm. this is something really different and uh, i have to say I, i found it refreshing
1: i like that he says um half of how we feel about our environment are the feelings that we put on it. Mm -hmm. We're carrying baggage of whatever's going on and then we... But then he says, you know, the romantic tradition, which is that... you know, And that's sort of the idea that the environment reflects our internal life, which is kind of a romantic idea. Mm -hmm. But then he says, also though, the environment really impresses us and there's these age-old kind of feelings out in the water and the sea and when the weather changes and the sea projects them onto us, it's a give and take. The world is giving us feelings just as much as we're pushing them out to it. I thought that was such a cool, yeah, man with nature kind of idea that doesn't exist in a lot of the stories that we've read.
0: It, no, it's, it was it was great. It's great. I I can't recommend this enough for our listeners to just sit down and give this one every. It's not long. It's but maybe I don't know, fifteen pages.
1: Yeah, I copied it out into Word uh, from. The website and it was about twelve pages long. Yeah, there was a quick reference, and I I wondered if you knew anything about this. There's a Mm. tale that he references just really briefly concerning a, a woman who was loved by a dark bearded king. Yeah, from underwater. And then I think he comes up and he takes her. It's a... It's a yeah, he like, looks like a withered
0: ape is what they say. Yeah,
1: has the features of a withered ape and he's wearing a big kind of pope hat. She's got a, some guy that she's in love with, but he comes up from the ocean and takes her down there. Yeah. <laughs> she has to live in these underwater cliffs. And then it's yeah. not really referenced again, but that's got a oh. Lovecraftian thing. I thought it would have something to do with the story, you know? Yeah. Lovecraft always suggests there's these legends, but then again, it was something that was brought up and then we never get anything else out of it.
0: Just the, a feeling... That's, and that's what I think is really interesting about this, is, is that that's what we're getting into, is strong emotions and kind of a sadness and kind of a, a mood that's being set. Joshi talks about this being a really good, weird tale. When, when they say weird stories or weird fiction, it's supposed to be mostly about mood and atmosphere and not so mm-hmm. much plot. It's supposed to make you feel something and feel something that yeah. you don't normally feel and i think this the story does a, an amazing job of that
1: oh absolutely that part where he sees the people out and he opens the door to to see if, in the rain to see if yeah. they want to come in they chose to stay in the rainy night and there's, <laughs> they're staring at him he says i closed the door with a surge of annoyance which sought all too vainly to disguise a deeper emotion of fear yeah. i love that yeah and how often do we disguise fear with annoyance or with anger yeah well,
0: gosh, man, I could talk about this quite a bit and we I think we've we've exhausted this uh, for now.
1: We're really running out of time. I wish I could keep talking about it. it's
0: it's really there's so much in here. It's very rich. so I yeah. that's why again, I recommend people to read it because there's just a lot to get out of it. And yeah, absolutely. really good just to get a different kind of story. This is very much not a Lovecraft story. This is something different, mm-hmm. and i I really enjoyed it.
1: Me too. I really, really liked it. I did want to say that this last week it was a little eerie, Um, this will be old news by the time this comes out, that Ray Bradbury passed away. Yeah. Just because I think about him, you know, he's kind of always been my favorite writer, and I I do think about him quite a lot when we're discussing the Lovecraft stuff. I try to not bring it up too much. I know that um, we've talked about covering some of his stories in the future, Yeah, but, you know, he kind of got his start from Arkham House. Yeah, years ago and of all of these classic genre writers that I admire so much he was one of the last living guys yeah
0: absolutely I honestly I had not consciously I realized this wasn't a conscious thought but after I read that he had died I realized that I had subconsciously thought about covering Bradbury stories and then trying to get him on the show of course like that that was something and then I felt a serious sense of loss
1: I know, and, and I had heard that he'd been ill for quite some time. I thought about trying to get him on at, at some point, because uh, he just lives over, well, not anymore, but he just lives over in Cheviot Hills, which is really close to here, and yeah, he's a fairly accessible guy. I, I feel bad now that I never took the opportunity when I had it. But yeah. people who uh, visit our Facebook page will know it was extra eerie for me, because I just so happened to be in Westwood on Sunday um, for lunch, yeah. and since we were right by the small Memorial Cemetery there, Uh, We stopped in, and the reason I stopped in was because Marilyn Monroe's birthday had been last week, and or June (laughs) 1st or something. No, seriously. Her birthday had been a couple of days before. Now, I know that I used to work at Westwood, so every once in a while, I'd go by that cemetery. It's just small and nice, and there's a lot of celebrities buried there. Sure. And so I I knew from that that when it's her birthday, people go over there, and they write crazy letters and do all this stuff and put it up around her, her grave. Okay. And. Heather's likes Marilyn Monroe. I I said, we should go in there. You haven't seen her grave because there's going to be some really nutty stuff in there. And there was. But we were in there looking at that while she was looking at it. I just wandered away. And there next to like there's Billy Wilder and Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon over in this little plot was Mm -hmm. Ray Bradbury's wife had passed away in 2003. So her grave is there. And since hers already has been laid out, his was ready next to it. Yeah. And his headstone was there and it just said Ray Bradbury, nineteen twenty, and then a blank next to it, obviously, because he hadn't passed away yet. And I snapped yeah. a photo of it. It was the only picture I took while I was in there. Uh and as soon as I got the news on Tuesday that he'd passed away, I looked down. It was the last picture of my phone was of his of his grave plot. Yeah. It just was so Bizarre. Are you trying
0: to take responsibility for this, Pfeiffer?
1: <laughs> Absolutely not. In fact, <laughs> that didn't occur to me until I posted on Facebook and then everybody was like, nice going, asshole. And I was like, wait a <laughs> minute. I'm saying this was you know, an eerie coincidence. Not that I somehow caused this. <laughs> of course, though, uh, I then realized that a couple of episodes ago you talked about Donna Summer. uh huh, And she was dead within the week.
0: <laughs> wait, I thought I talked about her after
1: she died. <laughs> no. It was when we had Agnes on to read. Yeah. And you said it was going to be her birthday party. All right. And I said, Oh, that's great. What are you going to do? Is it going to be a real crazy Studio 54 event? You said, Oh, it's going to be nuts. There'll be a lot of blow. Donna Summer's going to be there, et cetera, et cetera. And about seven days later, she passed away. Oh, so maybe God. there is some kind of. <laughs> Got to watch what going we say. On. I don't know. I know. <laughs> Everybody started flooding me with requests to go take photos of the Kardashians.
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> well, anyway, I felt a great sense of loss as well. And, yeah. Um,
0: I mean, he is. He's amazing. Like, it's just yeah. Ray Bradbury was amazing. It's just as a writer, and that that's something that we I definitely plan on doing with the, the the future of the podcast is definitely tackle at least some of his stories.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And
0: I, I don't know how we'll tie it into to Lovecraft, or, or maybe we won't. Maybe it'll be a completely different thing. But uh, it's just yeah. Ray Bradbury is was an amazing writer.
1: He's got his share of Lovecraftian horror stuff, especially the October Country. Some of his early stuff when he was you know when you're young you get obsessed with these dark things he, <laughs> he he classed it up a little bit as he got older but we'll we'll bring it up at some point anyway i just i would have felt remiss if we didn't mention it yeah uh, we'll miss you okay well that's all we have next week we're going to get into the haunter of the dark yeah and that's
0: gonna be our last lovecraft tale
1: yeah it will and then we'll announce what we're going to do with
0: uh the show and how yeah. it's going to change and what it will become and hopefully everybody will be really into that I hope so. With that, I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. <laughs>